The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcasts belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey. And it's no secret that teachers are leaving the education profession in droves, so much so that it's causing drastic shifts in the ways in which schools will need to operate this fall. Some large school districts have as many as 1,000 teacher job openings. This issue is only getting worse as post-pandemic educators are facing low wages, rising benefits costs, extreme student discipline problems, and polarizing politics. This is a crisis that has surpassed the traditional definition of a shortage. I have talked with several thought leaders about this issue, including Mandy Freilich. I met Mandy during one of Nicole Biscotti's coffee conversations on Zoom. Mandy is an educator, a mental health change agent, a doctoral student, the COO of EduMatch Books, an author, a former tech director, and former teacher. In this episode, we speak to Mandy about meeting teachers' basic needs, mental health support for educators, and how leaders can be supportive in the current workloads in education. So like we always do about this time, let's collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EDU Podcast. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey, and I have another amazing guest here tonight. I have Mandy Freilig on the show. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, a lot of people who follow my circles follow your circles, but for those who don't, can you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I was an elementary teacher and then I was a tech integrator and then a director of innovation and technology for a school district in Wisconsin. Right before the pandemic, I retired from that position and um, continued consulting full time. I had been doing it part time at the time. And now throughout the pandemic, I worked kind of coast to coast with teachers, had very little time not traveling, actually, and just continued to work with schools the best that I could. My roots are in ed tech, but my passion area is really in educator mental health. And so I've been talking about that for roughly nine years of like research and trying to find out why people emotionally disconnect from their jobs and how we can help them with that. And that's really what I try to do is work with districts on that as well as the ed tech stuff. Great. You're not retirement age. Don't even play us like that. <laughs> you job. Don't try to pretend like you're retirement age. I don't believe that. Okay. Hey, so we had a conversation in a group that of educators and I was like, man, first of all, we were talking about teacher burnout. We were talking about just people pulling their weight. 
And I made the statement that I think everybody needs to hear your perspective, because after I said what I said, coming from my knowledge background of what I've dealt with, not that even that I'm a principal now, I'm, I'm, I have great teachers, but I do see that there are times when 20 percent of the people who work in the organization do 80% of the work. And I was saying everybody needs to pull their weight. Let's let, I'll stop there and, and just get your thoughts on that part of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate what you said and agree with you. I It wasn't a disagreement in what I followed up with at all. My thoughts on that are everybody's weight might look different. There may be people in an organization that are dealing with burnout that are trying to pull back. And they might be dealing demoralization. And so they're trying to lean into to find a passion area again. And what you're asking them to do is just not part of that. And and so really what might be happening is that you have a group of people who's actually unintentionally, emotionally disengaged from their jobs in order to protect themselves. And because of that, their level of pulling their weight is going to be different depending upon the boundaries that they've set for themselves in order to continue to work. Wow. As a leader, our job is to make sure the work gets done. And it seems like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So pulling different weights, how do how can a leader change their mindset on that framework? Because that's not traditionally what you're taught as a leader. Right. Absolutely. I think there are a couple of things that could be done that may be helpful. It's really hard to say because healing from part of the issue right now with teachers trying to come back from the pandemic is that healing is very personal. And the first thing that you have to, you have to be willing to admit is that you have to heal, is that you need to heal. And not everybody is even in that place yet. And so it is hard from an administrator standpoint because First of all, principals are tired too. It's not like the pandemic was easy for them either. And now they're trying to support maybe 40, 50, 100 people who are all at various stages of mental health or mental health issues, mental wellness. Like they're all in different places for that for a million different reasons. And and at the end of the day, like I, I think of it very similarly to how we talk about classrooms right now and how we talk about students. And so we say, if students aren't fed, if they're not happy, if they don't feel safe, if they don't have, if they don't have the basic needs, how can we expect them to learn? It's really not that much different for, for teachers. If they don't have, obviously they're probably fed, they probably have access to food, but beyond that, do they feel safe in their environment? Even if it's not by the fault of the administrator in the building. Like we still have COVID going around. We still have active shooters all, all over the United States it's happening almost every day. And so do they feel safe in their environment? Probably not. And so how, like, how do we deal with some of these basic needs when like in the classroom, work still needs to get done? And so my best advice to principals would probably be how do you expect your teachers to get the academic stuff done when they're dealing with students' basic needs? And I don't mean how do you expect it as in they can't do it. What would you expect a teacher to be doing in that classroom addressing those students? And how can you model that 
in in with your staff, in your climate and culture. Because like you said, at the end of the day, the work does need to get done. And even with students and their all of the emotional things that are happening, at the end of the day, some learning has to get done. So what do we do about that? Some recommendations would be try to list out everything that has to get done, roles that teachers need to play and clubs that have to be run or should be run or like all of the extra things and write it all down and start to see, you know, who is taking all of this stuff and is there anything that anyone can take off from their plates? If any way that you can create a visual where you see that 52 things need to be done in a school and you have 14 people doing all of them, help give them a visual to say like, we have all of these things happening. Does anybody have the capacity to take on anything? And if not, then and those few are starting to burn out, then it needs to start being looked at what can be taken off from everyone's plate. Is there a club that has to run? It would be sad if a club doesn't run, how you also, it's more important to have healthy teachers in the classroom right now. It's probably temporary. So those would be a, just a few quick suggestions on things that could, you know, could be done. Also, when we had that talk, we talked about some clubs going away and some organizations that may not, do you really need the chess club? Do you really need that? And I don't want to pigeonhole you, but I never thought about it in that light. I never thought about because we always try to do what's what's best for kids, right? Is there a need for all of these clubs? Is there I hate to say it right, because in some cases we know an adult or we know a child who thrived in that kind of environment and who did really well. But right now, when we're looking at teachers leaving in droves, and that was one of the how one of the conversations started, right? The teachers yep. leaving droves. Is it more important? Are there other innovative ways that we can give students a similar experience without having to have an adult run that piece? Is there a PTO member? Is there some sort of parent group that can be put together? Can you maybe you have an, another elementary school that's close and one elementary school takes on the math club and the other elementary with all of the kids from the two schools? And the other elementary takes on the art club. Are there other things that we can do in order to create this place for kids to still have these experiences without needing to burden so many people? So why do you think teachers are leaving education in droves? I get asked this question all the time, and it's so hard for me to say there are a million different reasons. This has been a long time coming. Like we knew that it was the pandemic was really just the the last straw for some people. And I think at this point, I believe we went through the second wave of attrition during the summer. I think there's going to be one more just before December where teachers start retiring and leaving and things like that. I think, I think from the standpoint of when you look at some of those basic needs not being met, not feeling safe in schools like that alone, honestly, could be enough of a reason to leave. I don't I. I remember the feeling of being unsafe in my classroom, and I remember standing in my classroom looking for the best place to put my kids because I was in an op open concept classroom. 
And I felt like no matter what I did in that classroom, there was no way anybody would survive. And that was years ago before the shootings started happening on a regular basis. Like, until society really starts taking responsibility for some of the things that are happening in schools, it's going to be really difficult to keep teachers in there. They don't get paid enough to sacrifice their life for with what's happening. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a pay scale (laughs) alive that would cover something like that. So uh, there's the idea that they're, the profession in general is not well-respected. We're often asked to do the impossible, raise somebody else's kid while sometimes not always agreeing with what's happening after they leave our care. It's, it really is a difficult job. And, and I think that when pushed to the brink of when they need to decide between, am I going to be healthy or am I going to be sick and continue working in this volatile situation? They're going to leave. So there is no good answer, really. The only thing I really do think until society gets its stuff together, the only thing that we can do is continue to try to support teachers and support principals and paraprofessionals and everybody working in education the best way that we can from the inside and keep our fingers crossed and hope it works. There's a saying that's going around. It says that teachers quit principals. They don't necessarily quit their jobs. How do you feel about that statement? I think that if I would have read that five years ago, I think I would have said that's probably 90% true. It's a generality, right? Like it's not always going to be true. I would say right now, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that there is a principle out there that what if a teacher is done is going to be able to keep them there solely on their leadership style. I also think that in the systemic place that we are now, telling principals that they're solely responsible for engaging their teachers, emotionally engaging their teachers when we've gone through something so unprecedented is unrealistic and unfair. And I've said this before, and it's not probably one of my most popular (laughs) quotes, but I've said it's never the responsibility of leadership to emotionally engage a teacher. It's just not. It's the teacher's responsibility to stay emotionally engaged. It is the job of leadership to put supportive measures in place so that teacher feels like they have the ability to stay emotionally engaged. But at the end of the day, leadership cannot emotionally engage somebody. Somebody has to make that choice. And so I don't think that, I don't think leadership can do that. And I think it's really unfair at this time with the systemic issues we have to say that they can. So I'm going to share something about myself that I probably shouldn't, but I am. It's hard for me to encourage emotional engagement from a leadership standpoint. And I have to manage my own emotional stability throughout the pandemic as well. What would you tell a principal like me (laughs) in that situation? If I got a little bit of gas in my gas tank and you showing up with no gas in your gas tank, I just don't feel like giving you my gas. What do I do? And that's healthy. That's a healthy boundary to have. I think that the thing with being a principal is that it goes back a little bit to what I just said. It's not your responsibility to emotionally engage somebody. It is first they have to understand 
that they are disengaged, if they are disengaged, and then they have to make the choice to do what they need to do to heal from that disengagement. And the like healing itself, and this is one of the areas that we're in right now, is that people are trying to heal and the process of healing is ugly. It's not, you don't, when you get to a place of healing, that feels better, but the process of healing is ugly. I yeah. equate it to if you cut yourself really bad and it's bleeding. And as it starts to heal, it does all of the gross things. First, it bleeds, then it scabs, and sometimes it gets gross pus and green stuff, and it itches, and it's uncomfortable. And that really, to me, is a good analogy of what emotional healing feels like. It's uncomfortable, it makes you angry, and you're supposed to lean into all of these emotions that we generally feel are, we call negative, even though they really just are emotions, like it is what it is. And it's hard for people around us, especially when they're dealing with their own emotions, to try to have the space for others when they need it. Um, I think that as a principal, sometimes teachers expect their leadership to be able to hold space, especially if they've trusted them in the past. Like, I trust you, so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to inadvertently ask you to hold space. And, and that can be really hard as, a, as an administrator because you have not only that one teacher that came, you might have had 10 other teachers that came for that same thing. So the strategies I can tell you that I have found some success with, one is just as a human, no matter what position you're in, asking people either if they have, if they can hold space for you at the moment, if you want to talk to somebody else or vice versa, if you are somebody is starting to talk to you, actually saying to them, do you need me to hold space or are you looking for advice? Creating that just blatantly asking them because you might be holding space when they're looking for advice or you might be giving advice when they're not wanting it. And then knowing if you have the space to give. We talk about holding space a lot for other people, but if you're dealing with your emotional stuff, you may not have it. And I've had to say to people, I appreciate you and I want to be able to help you. But right now I don't have the space to hold. Like I'm dealing with my own emotional stuff. Your stuff is going to put me over the edge. <laughs> I haven't said that, but that's what I'm thinking in my head. <laughs> I have stuff. There's no more space to be held. And so having those like conversations. Something else that I often recommend is to think a little bit about how your teachers want to be supported. And I, I'm not, are you familiar with the love languages in a relationship? Yes, they do have the book somewhere over there. So it's yeah. Yes. So it's that same idea. What I've noticed with leadership is that teachers feel supported in different ways. And for example, when I first started thinking this through, I was talking to one of my mentors and I said, how do you like, how do you feel supported by a superintendent? And he said, I feel supported when the communication is really good and I know what's happening. And I was like, okay, I don't really, I like good communication, but I don't need to be in the know. Like I trust people to do their job. And I only, for me, I only need to know what I need to know and I'm good with that. But what I feel supported by is when I know somebody has my back. Like they know that I'm a hard worker. I put in the time, I put in the effort. And when I screw up, it was, and they're willing to have my back on that. 
And he was like, eh, I don't I'm like, yeah, sure. And so what I realized was if, for example, we were both teachers and we had a principal who was fantastic at communication, but not always awesome at having people's backs when they screwed up, I would not feel supported and he would. And taking the time to do two things with teachers. Number one, asking them to find out how they feel supported. Asking them to really be self-aware, to reflect on some of the things that are done that make them have that feeling of support. Asking them to put that in words and tell the leadership what that is, is a really great way to communicate how they feel supported because we have one we'll have somebody a principal go and put a candy bar in everybody's mailbox and it says it's a, a cute little thing on you're worth a hundred grand or whatever it is mm-hmm. and some of the staff will be like oh my gosh a candy bar that is what i needed right now that would be me like because chocolate anytime is how I feel supported, like 100%. Yeah. But then you'll get the people too who will be like, oh, nice. We get a candy bar in our mailbox and won't really appreciate the effort that person went through to show their appreciation for them. And if the candy bar doesn't do it for you, what does? How can I support you so that you feel like you're being supported? And not a lot of teachers get asked that. It goes a long way to even ask them to go that far and be that transparent. And then you're not you're not expending emotional energy trying to figure that out. It's just been a conversation. Yeah. You know. I love that. That's great. I was actually being counseled on there. So thank you for the I'm definitely going to use that. I think it's important. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm super principal, but I have never asked teachers that question. How do you feel supported or write that down? I think that's something really good that I'm going to take away from this conversation that I can quickly implement. I do have one other question and it's about the pandemic. Stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you, the teaching profession really harmed during the pandemic. So here's what I think happened during the pandemic. So if you go to my website, if anybody's listening to this, you can go to my website. It's divergentedu.com. I have a, a graphic under resources that's called the hierarchy of needs for innovation and divergent thinking. It's actually what my book Divergent EDU is based on, which was written pre-pandemic. Um, what I think happened during the pandemic can actually be explained with that graphic. Basically what the hierarchy is, it has several foundational levels that need to be put in place and that need to be solid in order to give teachers the best chance at being innovative thinkers. Things like innovation, creativity, those types of experiences, that's extra. That is not something that is a part of our typical human experience. Like that takes up extra capacity. And that's okay. On a normal day when we're working and we're doing our jobs and everything's going well, and, and but it does take up extra capacity. So the parts of the hierarchy, the foundational level is climate and culture. Then there's effective leadership. Then there's mindset, personal, professional learning, and then the top of the hierarchy. If all four of those pieces are solid and teachers are supported in those areas, again, it's going to give them the capacity to be able to think innovatively and creatively. 
What happened during the pandemic is a lot of the pieces of the hierarchy were not in place and not by the fault of anybody, really. Climate and culture may have been, it may have needed to be reestablished on in a virtual setting because climate and culture in a building and climate and culture in a virtual setting is not the same. Mm-hmm. Effective leadership was doing the best that they could with at any given time with what they had and what they did in a building may not have necessarily been effective in a virtual environment. Mindset, a lot of teachers were scared. They didn't have necessarily an innovative mindset. They didn't know what that virtual setting looked like. And then as far as the personalized professional learning, like a lot of districts were just throwing stuff out there and hoping something stuck because nobody knew what to do. Yeah. And so what really happened during that time is that we were challenging the hierarchy. We were saying, teachers, we need you to think innovative and creatively. We need you to rethink the system of education. We need you to rethink every lesson you've ever done and put it into a new way so that students can learn. But we had every foundational layer in the hierarchy disrupted. And so we were pulling from all that had no water left. We were telling them to be innovative and creative, and they had, we've maxed their capacity. And so that's why right now what's happening is we're seeing the fallout from that. The teachers are, were at max capacity and they still are. And of course, again, talking in generalities, there's still people that are super happy in their jobs and are great with what they're doing and fine and good. And that is fantastic. But for a lot of people, that is basically what happened. If teachers prior to the pandemic had personalized learning components in their classroom already, and if they were relatively tech savvy, they fared better than teachers who didn't have the personalized learning components in there as far as the voice choice and pacing, because good online learning is really rooted in personalized learning. Those teachers tended to do a little bit better, but for everybody else, it they were working at max capacity. Wow. That's deep. I never thought about that. So you mentioned that you have a book, The Divergent EDU. You have any other books all the way or? Yeah, I actually have four books. The Fire Within and Reignite the Flames and the Educator's Match book are all books about educator mental health. And then Divergent EDU is based on the hierarchy. It's about building capacity and innovative thinking. I have another book coming out probably at the beginning of next year. I was hoping at the end of this year, but it's already July. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. That book is called The Wounded Healer. And that talks about, it's actually, it's a general book for, it's for a general audience, but there will be a chapter for teachers in there. And it's really about how, how we, how we bring things into the classroom, how we work with students when we have wounds of our own that we're trying to heal. And so that's really what that's about. And yeah, so that should be out next year. Yeah, I like the way you concisely speak about teachers' mental health. We glaze over it even in the media. It's only the symptoms, but they don't really get to the root cause. I think you're at the root yeah. cause, so that's important. Where can I listen to audience find you at? So you can find me at Freilich M. It's at F-R-O-E-H-L-I-C-H-M. Everybody always forgets that first H. Or you can find me at www.divergentedu.com. Gotcha. Are you still working with Edumatch? 
I am. Yep. I'm Edumatch's yeah. COO. So Sarah's right-hand woman. And so, yeah, one of my favorite people. That lady is an earth angel, let me tell you. Like, I don't even know. She is. I was trying to figure out what she was. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I say that, people are like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I always tell people who don't know Sarah very well, I always say, imagine the best person and times that by a hundred. And then you might reach Sarah Thomas level. So Yeah, yeah. Good old Dr. Sarah Thomas. You are so are gonna be graduating soon. Yeah, next year I now with my doctorate. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because we'll see. But all of this stuff that we've talked about today is actually what my dissertation is on. So I'm hoping to get some actual research out there that people can use to help guide them. It's very practical. You see, I just went on ahead and I realized I need help. I need help before before you get rich and famous. I just, hey, just go on ahead give me free help. Thank you for coming on the show and I appreciate you talking with me and I hope that you come back on and share some more information with us. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you for having me on. Flipboard fam. It's now time for flip tips. Did you know that you can add captions, images, and links to a Flipboard magazine? There are a couple of options for adding content to your magazine. You can tap the plus when you find an article in Flipboard that you want to flip into your magazine. Additionally, you can use the Compose feature to add a personal touch to your magazine. You can add a caption, an image, or a URL post to your magazine. Post directly to your magazine on Android by going to your profile, select Magazine or create a new one, tap the pencil icon at the top, add a caption, image, or link, then hit Post. If you have an iPhone, you would go to your profile, Select a magazine or create a new one. Tap the pencil icon at the top right. Add a caption, image, or link, then hit post. We can't forget about the web. On the web, you would click the pencil icon in the top bar. Select a magazine or create a new one. Add a caption or paste the link. Images in the app only, not on the web. Then you would click flip. Flipboard fam, it's that easy. I love Flipboard. Every story on Flipboard is a plus. Flipboard fam, thanks for sticking with us on this episode. I would like to thank Mandy Freilich for coming on our show and talking with us about teachers' mental health. It's such an important topic. I would also like to thank Crystal Vanderboom and Aileen Laylor for the editorials on the Flipboard EDU podcast magazine. Hey, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and you can find us on any podcasting channel everywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Flipboard's podcast, The Art of Curation by Mia Quadrilo. Hey, it's a great time. I love Flipboard and I want you to too. So until next time, family, 